Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, good morning. Hey, look at that. Quite a response. Thank you. I didn't know if anybody was going to say anything back. Uh, great. So have you ever hit rock bottom? Rock bottom is not a place that is easily defined, but you definitely know it once you get there. Um, it could look different for each of us, right? It could be a family member dying. It could be the love of your life breaking up with you. It could be a really challenging season that you're going through could be a poor decision that you made and you end up getting arrested. So what was it for you? I don't mean like the time that maybe you left open your fridge and all your ice cream melted. That's not a rock bottom place. Um, If it is for you, then let's talk after. Um, I mean the time that you really had no other option left. And so all you could do is call out to God. Today we're going to be continuing our time in Jonah, but I want you to be thinking about this as we look at Jonah, because I believe Jonah is in a rock-bottom place at this account in Jonah chapter 2. We're also going to be looking at a friend of mine named Austin and his story of hitting rock-bottom as well. So a little bit about Austin, who's a good friend of mine. His father was the owner of a big oil field. And so if you don't know what that means, basically it means that they were like crazy loaded, like super rich to the point where they were like getting cars for Christmas type of rich. And after graduating college, he was the next in line to take over the family business. And he was poised and ready. He had just gotten engaged to his girlfriend. He was driving the car, the dream car that he always wanted, and he was starting to make some big paychecks. But God had a different plan for his life, and he had no idea what was coming. You see, his fiance ended up cheating on him, and they broke up. He then turned to substances and lost his job. And after all of these bad decisions began to pile up, it all came to a head. And the only thing he had left to do was be able to call out to God. And so he did. He called out to God and God placed him in a completely different place and began a new story for Austin. We're going to come back to him in a second, but let's turn to Jonah because I believe that today, Jonah chapter two, Jonah is going to be inside of the fish. If you were here last week, you remember Chris talking about how he got to this point. And I think this is actually Jonah's lowest point in his life so far. You see, I know a lot of us may believe, oh, well, Jonah was saved by the fish. Wouldn't this not be a low point? Wouldn't this be an exciting point, right? He was about to drown and die, but a safe fish saved him. I'll actually, uh, through all of my study this week, I actually came to a different conclusion. And so Chris taught last week about Jonah's journey as he was trying to flee from God's call, right? God wanted him to go to Nineveh, and he got on a boat to go to Tarshish instead. And he was heading in the opposite direction. He was trying to hide from God, the creator of the world, of the seas, which is basically like trying to play, whenever we play hide and seek with a toddler, right? They like run around and you start counting and they go and they hide behind the chair. They kind of sit, but their little feet and toes are sticking out. And then as soon as you say, ready or not, here I come, then they start kind of giggling and you know exactly where they are the entire time. That's exactly what God does with Jonah here. And so whenever he's trying to hide, in reality, he's not actually hiding. But he was trying to avoid to go to, going to Nineveh, right? So the Assyrians were the capital of kind of the big 
world at that time. They were the enemies of the Israelites. Nineveh was like their big capital. And there was about 120,000 people in this city, but they were known for one thing in particular, it was some of their cruel punishments. One of their punishments of which they would skin people alive in public. Terrifying. No wonder Jonah was terrified to go. I don't blame him by any means. But as Jonah's sailing away and heading that way, he, uh, that big storm comes and he starts to figure out, okay, what, do I, what am I going to do? And he finally has one more realization of being able to escape God potentially. And he asked the sailors to throw him overboard in order so that he would die, right? So he's trying to take his own life so that he very, so he can just avoid going to Nineveh altogether. This was kind of his trump card, so to speak. He was like, oh, I've got God this time. Sure, I couldn't run on a boat, but I'll take my life or I'll have these sailors take my life for me so it's not a sin and therefore will be fine. It wouldn't have to go and do what God's asking me to do. But God instead does something to bring him even further back. So the sea became calm. He starts to drown. And then God sends this fish to basically swallow him. You see, God thought this, or Jonah, sorry, thought that this trump card would work, but it wasn't, God wasn't going to let him off that easy. We think of the fish saving Jonah, but I think it was actually more of a punishment getting him back to Nineveh and for him disobeying God. I believe this is Jonah's rock bottom. So this is where we're going to pick up in God's word, Jonah chapter two, if you guys would turn there with me. And as you guys do, let me pray for God to bless our time in God's word this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we just praise you for the opportunity to open your word, Lord, freely this morning. And I pray that you would speak, uh, God, through your word, that you would speak through Jonah's story, that you would speak through um, what you have for us, Lord, and whatever low point that we've experienced, I pray that we would learn from it just like Jonah as well. God, we love you and pray that your blessing would be upon us. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so grab your Bibles, either physical or digital. Doesn't matter to me. Um, but as you guys are turning there, this chapter in Jonah is about him inside the fish, right? And he, I don't know how he managed to write down a prayer from the inside of a stinky, dark, disgusting fish, but that is one of the questions I have for God one day in heaven. Um, and a quick sidebar on this, I know Jonah loves, you know, this whole book of Jonah is a huge topic of discussion for a lot of Christians. We love to debate it. We love to talk about, well, how is it that he was inside of the whale or the fish? And how was he sustained for three days and three nights? How did he have air and all these things, right? But I think in reality, it's a miracle. God did a lot of miracles in the Old Testament. So I want to preface this, that God also brought uh, a prophet all the way up to heaven in a flaming uh, chariot with, with horses, right? Like there, he sent fire from heaven down onto a completely wet altar. Um, he has done amazing things in the Old Testament. He even made a donkey talk back to his owner in Balaam, right? And we don't tend to ever really debate the Balaam story of the donkey talking back because he saw an angel in the middle of the road. So I think, yeah, sometimes as Christians, myself included, we tend to debate Jonah. I even wrote a paper in college about how he wasn't real. And I remember like talking to Emmy, Jonah may not be real. And she looked at me like, you are crazy. What are you talking about? Um, and so now I'm in the camp that Jonah was real very much so. And so that's where we're going to be this morning is we're believing this story to be completely true. Jesus talks about it. So we're going to talk about it. All right. So let's pick up verse one. Let's start reading. It says from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All of your waves and breakers swept over me. 
I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. So remember the temple here really quick. We're going to come back to that. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, whenever he was drowning, he said, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. The temple mentioned again here in verse 7. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Sounds like a guy who has hit rock bottom. Here we have seen Jonah up to this point being completely rebellious, completely against God, running away. And now he has this heart of repentance all of a sudden. In this prayer, he's saying, God, I am so grateful that you saved me, right? But I don't imagine him maybe saying this prayer right after being swallowed. He was in there for three days and three nights. I envision him getting swallowed and being very panicked and freaked out by what was happening. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember that story years ago of the lobster fisherman in Cape Cod who got swallowed by the sperm whale, right? He was in the, the whale for maybe 30 seconds with full scuba gear and he sustained serious injuries and it, like extensive trauma. Like dude needed counseling afterwards. So I got to think that uh, Jonah needed some severe counseling as well. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure that it stunk. I, I envision it being pitch black and wet I mean, I prune after being in the pool for 15 minutes. I'm sure he was pruned like nothing else after being in there for three days. And they do studies on people who go through like solitary confinement, right? Like that's the worst punishment that we have here in America besides the death sentence. But like people are put in solitary confinement as a punishment. People are there and they go crazy after not having human interaction, any light, any kind of sensory things. And so I envision this being a really hard time for Jonah. I don't see this inside of the fish being a cakewalk by any means. And I'm sure after some time had passed, he fully realized the reality of his situation. And he realized that the fish was sustaining him and God was using him to deliver this message to the people who needed it. See, he was so disobedient and pessimistic. Jonah was a pessimist through and through. And I can relate. I, I am a pessimist. I don't know if anybody else is that way, but I tend to always see the worst in things before I ever see the best. I come home and I just look at all the things that need to be fixed or things that I need to work on or the long list of to-dos I got to accomplish. Or I look at my kids who are screaming sometimes and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to like fix you guys in some way. I need to like figure out how to do this and, and uh, yeah, be a better dad. But in reality, I just need to be grateful that I even have a house to be able to walk into at the end of the day and that I get to have three beautiful boys, healthy boys that God's blessed me with. So I don't always look at the bright side of things. Now, granted, being a pessimist is not necessarily always a bad thing. I work in construction. I do roofing and solar. And so I think it makes me better at some of those things because I can point out damage. I can figure out things that need to be fixed. And that, that side of me is I kind of see the negative so that I can make it whole. But I also tend to make excuses quite a bit. I don't know if you guys are in the same way, but I make a lot of excuses of, well, I can't eat healthy today. I'm just too busy. There's no way. Or, well, I just can't work out because, you know, gosh, my, my knee's really hurting again. You know, or uh, I don't want to preach because I'm self-conscious of what, the way I kind of waddle up here. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but I tend to waddle a little bit and I don't really fully know what to do with my hands half the time. So um, I tend to look at the bad things and it keeps me from doing what God really wants me to do. 
but Jonah needed to be swallowed by a fish in order to finally turn back to God and finally realize that God was bigger than his doubt and his fear of the Ninevites. He needed to hit his low point to see past himself and trust God. And this is exactly where Jonah's at. He attempted every which way to escape God and his call for his life, but God still hunted him down and brought him back. And Jonah finally admitted his fault. He's repenting inside of this fish, and he recognizes his mistake, and he longed to see God's temple again. So there in verse 4, it says, Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. And then again in verse 7, it says, When my life was ebbing away, whenever I was drowning, whenever I was failing, I remembered you, Lord, my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So what does God's temple have anything to do with Jonah or the story of the fish? See, the the Jews back in that time saw the temple as their means of grace. When the temple was there and constructed, it was the dwelling place of God. So that's where they could go to meet with God. It was also the place where they could go and sacrifice animals in order to atone for their sins, right? So this literally was the avenue for them to experience God's grace. And the irony of it all is that God uses a fish to save Jonah. So in that time, they were using animals to sacrifice to save themselves, to atone for their sins. And God's irony sends a fish, an animal, to save Jonah instead. Just as Chris said last week, God continues to flip the script and use the unexpected to accomplish his plans. The other ironic thing about God using a fish was that there was the main god of the Ninevites. They believed in this fish man, essentially. So there's an image of it. Dagon was his name. And the Ninevites worshipped this guy for prosperity and uh, all these things in the Assyrian Empire. They really believed that he was the god of provision for them. And so I don't think it was any accident that Jonah was inside of a fish for three days and three nights and then got vomited out and then had to go preach to these people. I think God had something in store there. And then he preaches a total of eight words and a hundred and twenty thousand people repent of their sin as a result. I wish I only had to say eight words this morning. The point being that even whenever Jonah messed up, God still uses him. So even whenever we mess up, whenever we feel like we are not good enough or we're, we're too afraid or we're too uh, fearful of make, taking the next step forward that God wants us to take, he can still work out his plans. So back to my my friend Austin's story, whenever he had hit rock bottom and he called out to God, he experienced a saving relationship with Jesus at that church in Oklahoma, and he ended up getting called to a church in Texas. And this little tiny church in a small town called Bernie, Texas, Curry Creek Church, where he was mentored by the lead pastor, he became the youth pastor there, and he got a whopping $20,000 salary along with a single wide trailer to live in right behind the church. And so quite the stark contrast from his oil money that he was going to be making. And numerous times, he said up until that point, he was trying to figure out a way to get back to the oil business, to make money, to do all these things. And every time he tried to get there, God kept bringing him back. To this day, Austin would say that God hunted him down and brought him back to where he was supposed to be, which was a youth pastor in that small church. And his faith grew and his joy grew in that situation. And I'm sure glad that was the case. I mean, he lived in a single wide trailer right behind the church. And I remember he literally had like one couch, some folding chairs, and there was like a boar's head on the wall. That was like our youth group. Um, And 
basically he also had some weird sheep that was a pet of his somehow and it was just a super funny situation but one day an eighth grade an eighth grader walked into those doors and sitting in that single wide trailer with the folding chairs and the boar's head heard the life change that austin had been through from hitting rock bottom and if you couldn't guess that eighth grader was me my parents had just been through a divorce they just filed the papers so I was left to be the man of the house. My dad moved an hour away with my handicapped mother and my two little sisters. And here I was as a 14 year old, not wondering what in the world was going to happen next. I felt like my whole life had been flipped upside down and inside out. I had a crippling lust addiction and I didn't have any kind of supportive community around me. In that season, I would go entire days without saying a word to anybody. And I, like Jonah, tried to take my own life. I thought about it. And in that same week, I got invited to a weird youth group with people I had no idea who, who they were. And I experienced God's love through somebody's story of hitting rock bottom, like I had just experienced. You see, faith begins when we get to the end of ourselves. When I was at the end of myself, God's presence had never felt so real. I remember after experiencing grace truly for the first time, I was laying in bed one night and I was praying. I was like, Lord, just take these burdens from me. I don't want to carry the weight of this anymore. And I remember God in that moment, while I wasn't floating in my bed, I felt almost as if I was. I felt like this whole weight had been lifted and I had never felt anything more freeing in my entire life. And though I would not wish my rock bottom upon anybody, I wouldn't change it for the world. And it's not until we're truly humbled and we take a leap of faith and call out to God. And it's in those moments that our faith begins. And every subsequent low that comes in life as, as a result, after that fact, our faith continues to grow. So where do we go from here? How does Jonah's story help us today? Well, first I would say that life is hard. There's gonna be lows, I'm sorry to say, but as a pastor standing on a stage, I will admit that life can be hard. And it's definitely not perfect. The Christian life isn't perfect. And even Jesus says that pain and suffering still happens. Jesus promises that in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. And he's saying that to his disciples. Trouble at work, trouble at home, trouble with health. You may even have trouble here at church. Oh my goodness. But Jesus says, take heart. I, Jesus, have overcome the world. So my first takeaway from Jonah's story is turn to God by praying first. In all circumstances, but especially when things get hard. Which will, unfortunately, happen. But can you imagine if Jonah would have just turned to God instead of trying to run away from him? If he would have just asked, God, I'm really scared. Help me figure out how you're going to do this. We see Moses do that, right, back in Exodus chapter 3, where he is faced in the presence of God, and God's like, I'm going to use you. And he's like, no, I have all these things. I can't talk right. I'm just a lowly shepherd living out here. I, was, I left Egypt. There's no way. But God gave him the strength and the tools he needed in order to accomplish those plans. Imagine if Jonah would have done that. He would have saved himself a ton of heartache. But he ignored the call instead. So I think we need to turn to God first by praying. The second thing I think that we can learn is very similar, but turn to God despite how you feel. Our feelings aren't truth. Our fears, our doubts, our depression, our anxiety, those aren't from God. They're lies that Satan wants you to believe instead of what God might be calling you to. 
Jonah, the great prophet of the time, the prophet back in the Old Testament basically meant that he knew all of Israel's history. He knew all of God's word. He knew all of these things. And he should have known better than anybody to not doubt God's purpose and goodness. So even whenever you feel embarrassed to share your faith with somebody, God still calls you to. Even whenever you feel like you shouldn't stand up against evil at work because you might lose your job, God still calls you to. Or even whenever you feel like you just can't get out of bed today and you can't do anything productive, God still calls you to get in his word and pursue him. Finally, I think the last thing we can learn is turn to God by repenting of your sin. Jonah sinned against God by trying to flee, flat out, trying to make his own life, his own plans. And instead, he was brought back to where he needed to be by God. So whenever you feel the temptation to just keep scrolling social media until you see a girl in a bikini and your mind starts to wander, or when you're bored and you go to the fridge again to grab an unhealthy snack even though you know you don't need one, or whenever you just can't help yourself from gossiping about the drama about your friends or your family because you just got to get it out of your system. Those are all sins that we need to repent of and turn to God. And just like we learned, Jonah longed to see God's temple the physical representation of grace in, for all of Israel. And we get to an opportunity to repent here each and every Sunday by taking communion. Communion is our physical representation of grace. Jesus lived a perfect life, and he gave it up for us. So whenever God looks at you, whenever he looks at me, he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus, his perfect son, instead in what he did on the cross. So whatever you might be feeling, whatever baggage you might be holding on to, whatever low point you have experienced, you can put them all down at the feet of Jesus because his blood was shed for you. And I still remember back in those youth group days, the first time I ever took communion was goldfish and Capri Sun. And I still remember experiencing God's grace for the first time. The vehicle of it doesn't matter. The fact is that God, Jesus uses communion here as our symbol. So as you guys get ready to take communion here in a second, let's turn to God, repent of your sins, because he's calling you to so much more in life. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thanks for your word. God, thanks for using Jonah to teach us things about you um, and that we can turn to you in any moment and in any place and any time. God, thanks for not giving up on us. Even though we get fearful, even whenever we feel like we just can't continue on, whenever life gets hard, God, you still show up and you are still with us and you still care about us and you still have great things in store for us, regardless. God, we repent of our sin. Lord, we repent of the thoughts that we have that are not honoring to you. We repent of the actions, the words we say. God, we repent so that we can experience your grace, Lord, that you give so freely and we're so thankful for that. So God, now in this time, in this next song, would you convict our hearts of the things that we fall short in? God, would you show up here and now so that we can give our sins, our failures, our fears, our anxieties, our depression here to you and lay them at the feet of, foot of the cross, Lord, that you bled and died. Lord, your body was broken for us, your blood was shed for us. Pray us. I pray that we would never forget that. God, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.